Hello and welcome back to Franklin Covey's twice weekly leadership podcast on leadership with Scott Miller. That's me. I'm your host twice weekly on Tuesdays and Fridays. Now for six plus years, 300 plus episodes, we show up twice for you each week where we're able to take what is our spotlight and platform and shine it on thought leaders, CEOs, business titans, best-selling authors, researchers, curators, creators that bring to you principles on how to be a better leader. Franklin Covey is the world's most trusted leadership firm, been in business for four decades, 25 of which I've been honored to be associated with this brand and this company. And one of the best parts of this podcast is our ability to pour into you in all of the roles you have in life. Not all of you are formal leaders of people. Some of you are parents, caregivers, care providers. Some of you are children, siblings, neighbors, committee members, God forbid, HOA presidents. I once heard someone said, when you read a resume and it has that you are the HOA president, they automatically don't interview you. Funny, horrifying, but still funny. My point is, on this podcast each week, we try to bring some of the best in the business to you to share what is their expertise typically on a nuanced area. Might be the value of relationships, productivity, time management, conflict resolution, how to create boundaries in life, how to execute strategy, how to build a high trust culture, how to avoid or even seek conflict for the benefit of mediation and resolution. Today, however, we're gonna take a little bit of a different turn. One of the things that I was most attracted to in Dr. Covey was his curation of the habits in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. This book has sold 50 plus million copies. Literally hundreds of millions of professionals have attended some version of the multi-hour, multi-day Seven Habits work session. Now, mind you, Dr. Covey did not invent these habits. What he did was he uncovered principles that are common and govern all human behavior. He named them, he numbered them, he sequenced them, he organized them in a format, a structure called the maturity continuum. He didn't invent these principles, but the reason the book and the course has been so successful around the world is because, in fact, the seven habits are governing principles. And today's guest, Rory Vaden, is in many ways very similar to Dr. Covey. He is the co-founder of Brand Builders, a multi-best-selling author, coach, entrepreneur, speaker, and one of the most decorated, if you will, awarded keynote speakers, presenters in the world. He wrote a book amongst many called Take the Stairs, and like The Seven Habits, it is chock full of principles of human effectiveness. You might even call it kind of homespun wisdom. And so unlike some guests that have a deep expertise in some very particular areas, of which Rory does also, especially around building your own brand as an organization, an individual, he'll talk about that. Today, we're actually going to spend time kind of water skiing, maybe snorkeling across 10 or 15 principles that are in this book he wrote over a decade ago called Take the Stairs, because I do think there is enormous value to all of our listeners and viewers to occasionally just sit back and absorb what are principles that are timeless, that have crossed every country, industry, company, continent, culture, generation. And today, Tori is, or, um, Rory is going to revisit some of those. So with that, Rory, welcome to On Leadership. 
Hey, Scott. Man, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here, my friend. I kind of want to become your pool boy because that uh, pool behind you, for those of you who are watching <laughs> on video, is legit. Where did you find that Zoom screen? Well, there's a, the job is opening. No, that's actually my real pool, but it's a, it's a picture of my pool on a green screen because I'm down in the basement like locked inside of a dungeon. And so it makes me feel like I'm outside to see it all day in the background. Well, I think it is phenomenal. I know you and your wife are raising two, um, two young boys. And so I'm sure they have a phenomenal time in that background. You're joining us from Nashville, Tennessee. Today, Roy, I mentioned it in the yes, opening sir. that I'm, I've curated, if you will, some of the governing principles that I think are such gold in your book, Take the Stairs. Before we go there, would you rewind a couple of decades? You've been a very successful entrepreneur with both ups and downs like all of us. I'd love it if you would kind of reorient your journey to everybody listening and also talk a little bit about what is this thing called Brand Builders that you've co-founded and are starting to launch out into the world? Yeah, well, I was raised by a single mom and my mom sold Mary Kay Cosmetics. So I grew up around all the principles of success and a lot of women. So it means that I learned about success from, you know, all these women. And it also means that I know more about makeup than I do about cars. Um, and then I got into martial arts, which was when I first got exposed to self-discipline. I did a, a long stint in direct sales. When I was in college, I went door to door, 14 hours a day, six days a week for five summers. I recruited a bunch of people to come with me, and that was really where I got my first, you know, lessons in leadership. I built a, a large organization, and then after I got my master's degree, I uh, left that business, and that was when I started to pursue public speaking, and I was mentored personally by the late Zig Ziglar, who I, I know that many people are probably still familiar with on this podcast. Um, we parlayed that into a motivational sales training company. And we grew that to eight figures. We had about 200 people. We sold that in 2018. That was like sales coaching. And then we started Brand Builders Group. So the through line is that, you know, Scott, I've spent my whole life studying uh, what I would, I refer to as the psychology of influence, which is how to move people to action, including yourself and others. And now at Brand Builders Group today, Sort of level one influence is moving yourself to action. Level two is influencing another person to action, which is sales. We think of level three influence as moving a small team to action, like leadership. And then level four is what uh, we call you know, personal branding, which is activating an entire community or worldwide movement. And uh, so that's the, that's the life story as fast as I could tell it. Rory, one of the few privileges I get in this chair is I get to pick the topics of the podcast. And I am privileged to be holding a copy of your book, kind of a vintage copy that's actually a pre-release copy from over a decade ago. I think you released this yeah. back in 2012, one of several books that you've authored. This one, though, I think I have such an affinity for because, again, like I said, it reminds me a lot of the wisdom that Dr. Covey wrote about in his seminal book, The Seven Habits. So on that, let's get started. Speed round with Rory Vaden. Rory, the book is actually titled Take the Stairs. Seven Steps to Achieving True Success. I've got about 12 to 15 principles that you write about that I want you to riff on. First, a take the stairs mindset means knowing that today's work turns into next week's success. Before you answer that, the most common question I am asked about this podcast is what are all of the 300 guests have in common? 
right? We have neuroscientists, we have celebrities and actors and authors and CEOs, we have everybody, they come and they kiss the on-leadership ring. Don't I wish. Uh, what they all have in common is they have an, what I would call an indefatigable work ethic. Whether it's Jack Canfield or Deepak Chopra or Tony Robbins or Jay Shetty or Daniel Amen or Marie Forleo, Liz Wiseman, Kim Scott, these are people that have way past earned a comfortable lifestyle. They're now into helping change lives, impart knowledge, and they don't need to earn one more dollar. They're smart, strong business people, but what they do is they have this work ethic that is uh, indefatigable. The concept I pitched was a take the stairs mindset means knowing that today's work turns into next week's success. Riff on that. Yeah, I mean, the metaphor we use, right, is, is if you just go, the last time you were in front of a set of escalators and some stairs, did you take the stairs? And which one do most people choose, right? Most people choose the escalator. We live in an escalator mentality. It is a title, it, it's a, it's a, it is a culture of shortcuts. Um, in some ways, you might say entitlement, it's convenience. It is easy, fast, instant. That's the world that we live in. And just like you said, Scott, like, as I looked across the continuum of successful people from all walks of life, it was very simple that what they did was they did the things that other people weren't willing to do. We use that metaphor of take the stairs. The question is, why do they do that? And the answer is because they think longer term. Um, we call this in the book, the, the first of the seven principles is the paradox principle of sacrifice. And it says, easy short-term choices lead to difficult long-term consequences. Meanwhile, difficult short-term choices lead to easy long-term consequences. That's the paradigm that successful people have is they can see further out in the future and that, that vision creates the context for them to make disciplined choices in the short term. Adding on to that is this concept you call, you always get paid for how hard you work, but it's not always right away. One of my favorite case studies that I wrote about in the Master Mentor series that I've authored, a book series based on guests on this podcast, is a woman named Tiffany Alice. She's known as the oh, budget yeah, nista. And you know, a, a financial, uh, personal finance expert for all of us, mainly focused on the black community. And Tiffany's book, uh, her most recent book, became this New York Times bestseller. Now, I, I don't know that the book had earth-shattering ideas that had not been shared by other personal finance experts, Dave Ramsey and Susie Orman and so on and so forth. Tiffany obviously has a unique point of view and a strong voice and her own unique journey. But what most people don't know is that for years, not like two years, but eight or 10 years, Tiffany had been writing a blog and creating a opt-in uh, database. And she had this massive group of people that she had been curating and nurturing for like eight plus years that when it came time to launch her book, she had the platform. She's a great example, I think, of this principle that you get paid for your work, not always right away. Yeah, absolutely. I'm one of our brand builders group mantras that we tell people when they're building their personal brands and we work with a lot of aspiring authors and speakers as we say, you have to build relationships before you need them. Whether you're a salesperson asking for referrals or you're a leader asking your people to do something that's very difficult or you're a, an author who wants to you know, launch a book, you have to build the audience for the book before you build the book. And most people do that in reverse. So, and I, I think again, 
there that's that's a true that's just a truism of of success is to go i'm willing to put in the work now i'm i'm willing to invest um and one of the other things we say that the counter of that is that procrastination is nothing more than a creditor that charges you interest so the opposite of doing what you should do in with the hope and the belief and the faith that if you do the right things now, good things will come in the future is saying, no, I'm going to do what is easy in the short term. I'm going to procrastinate on the things that I know I should do. And yet that in the long term is what makes life harder. So it's the things that seem easy in life are the very vehicles to the more difficult life. Or as we say, procrastination is a creditor that charges you interest. Meanwhile, discipline is an investment that pays off. And whether it's Tiffany or the people that you mentioned in my own life personally, it just never fails. When you take the stairs, when you're doing the things that most people aren't willing to do, when you're doing the things you know you should be doing, it always pays off, right? Like you can't go to the gym over and over and over and not one day see results. Now people give up too early. That happens all the time. Or they have other habits that come in that sort of, you know, cannibalize their efforts or thwart that activity. But if you do the right things consistently, it always eventually works. It never doesn't work. It has to work. They are, they are foundational principles of success. I think it was Harvey McKay that said, dig your well before you're thirsty. About once a year on this podcast, I'll mention uh, my fondness for Rachel Hollis and her own journey to become an influencer and a coach and a guide. I think it was Rachel's seventh book that actually became its first bestseller. She posted a photograph on her Instagram a few weeks ago of her sitting, I think, at a Barnes & Noble holding her book in her hand. I don't think the first five or six books even made it into a bricks-and-mortar bookstore. She's another example of someone who toiled for years building a brand. Uh, it's a great principle, especially in the era of TikTok, where so many of us see what looks like overnight success. And when yeah. you interview every single one of these people, whether it's Matthew McConaughey, Jason Derulo, Ariana Huffington, when you actually do like a longitudinal analysis of their trajectory, you come to learn how many thousands or hundreds of interviews they were on before they got the part, how many books yeah. they wrote that weren't accepted by a publisher, how many consulting companies they had that went under until the big one brand builders actually happened. It's a great reminder to everybody there's no shortcuts. Uh, speaking of which, talk a little bit more about Brand Builders, your latest venture. How do people engage with it? Why would someone engage with you? What kind of services do you provide? Because I'm a passionate believer. Everybody has a brand. Whether intentionally or accidentally, you've created a brand and you need to make sure it aligns with your employers, your colleagues, your clients, your family. Talk about the power of building a personal brand and brand builders. Yeah, well, so for us, when, when we think of personal branding, we think that most people think of it wrong. Most people think of personal branding as like, oh, it's your colors, it's your fonts, it's your logos, it is you know your social media. And that's not how we think of it. We think that your personal branding is simply the digitization of your reputation. Well the said. digitization of your reputation. And uh, we led a, a uh, we had a, a PhD led national research study called the Trends in Personal Branding National Research Study that actually studied the impacts of this. 
We found that 74% of Americans say they're more likely to trust someone who has an established personal brand. So we all have a brand. And when you think of it through the lens of reputation, you go, oh, that makes more sense. That's a concept I'm more familiar with, but it is digitizing that. It is bringing your offline reputation online and scaling it. We sometimes say it's about automating trust. Um, it's scaling trust or scaling impact in a digital way. Now, the, the best thing that we do is we help people figure out what their personal brand should be and how to monetize that. And um, one of the things that we figured out, that's the shortcut, right? So Scott, we've got, you know, we have 14 different two-day experiences. Uh, we do one-on-one -on -one coaching for people who are anyone who's trying to become more well-known, right? That's it. We help mission-driven messengers become more wealthy and well-known. And if there's a shortcut, what we have figured out is you are most powerfully positioned to serve the person you once were. You're most powerfully positioned to serve the person you once were. So oftentimes, a big part of our process is that we're looking back on a person's life and figuring out what challenges have they conquered, what obstacles have they overcome, what setbacks have they survived, and then we're pushing them through a process that helps extract that experience and that knowledge from their head. We turn it into a body of work. We present that body of work as you know various things, keynotes, courses, webinars, membership sites, and then we help broadcast that to the world through funnels and social media and digital marketing and search engine optimization, um, and, we, and we monetize that. And that's what we would call level four influence, right, which is uh, what personal branding is, influencing a community. But that ties all the way back to Take the Stairs, which this Take the Stairs book we define as level one influence, which is influencing yourself. And we really believe that before you can have a strong personal brand, you need to have a strong personal character. You need to be a person who does what they say they're going to do, that is disciplined. And one of the ways that my pastor told it to me is he said, Rory, your character will never grow wider, or your influence, excuse me, your influence will never grow wider then your character runs deep. And that, that work starts all the way back in you know, my very first book about Take the Stairs. Beautifully said. Next concept. Balance shouldn't mean equal time spent on mm. equal activities. Balance should mean appropriate time spent on critical priorities. What a great conversation to have when everyone is experiencing some level of burnout, fatigue, especially post-pandemic where everyone's values have shifted and people are thinking thoughtfully around the fragility of their life, their legacy, their relationships. Talk about how balance should really mean appropriate time spent on critical priorities, not equal time spent on equal activities. Yeah, and this is actually a good intersection point of my second book, which is called Procrastinate on Purpose, Five Permissions to Multiply Time. I also did a TED talk on it that went viral, which is free. It's called How to Multiply Time. But basically, Scott, you know, balance, I think that balance is a horrible metaphor for how to spend our time because, you know, the scientific definition of balance is equal force in opposite directions. That's how you balance something. Well, if you apply that as a metaphor to your time, it makes you think that you would spend an equal amount of time in different areas of your life, which is not only a great strategy, it's basically impossible because if you sleep eight hours a day and you work, let's say theoretically eight hours a day, then the only way you could be balanced is to do one other activity and you do that eight hours every day. 
So that's not practical. It's also not what successful people do. And it's not what's necessary. For example, you don't have to work out eight hours a day to be in great shape. For most of us, if we worked out 20 minutes a day, I mean, even these days, I work out like 12 to 15 minutes a day. It's an incredibly short amount of time. You can be in pretty good health if you actually do that and you couple that with some other things. And so in procrastinating on purpose um, and that, you know, that the TED talk that went along with that, we talked about how to multiply time. And the way that you can multiply time, people think, well, time's the one thing you can never get more of. That's not necessarily true. Um, you can't get any more time inside of one day, but the way you multiply time is by spending time on things today that create more time tomorrow. As a leader, it's going, if I train someone to do it, then I no longer have to do it myself. I'm sacrificing time of my own in the day because it would be faster for me to do it myself it takes me longer to train them, but if I train them, that takes more time up front, but it is an investment. Over the course of the long term, something we call the significance calculation, I get more time back because every day in the future that the person that I trained is doing it is now another time that I'm not having to do it myself, right? So this is the delegation chapter in the, in the second book. So it's just understanding that it's not about quantity of time always. Sometimes it is, right? Sometimes with relationships, quantity of time matters. But even in our marriages, we don't have to spend eight hours a day with our spouse to have a really significant marriage. We don't necessarily have to spend eight hours with God to have a really deep spiritual connection. You might go through your day thinking about God, or you might spend several hours with your spouse, but like a one-hour dedicated focused conversation or walk with your spouse probably is worth more than 20 hours of sitting on the couch next to each other watching Netflix. So it's not about quantity of time. It's about quality of time. And quality of time is measured through something we call the significance calculation, which is what is the impact of the time you spend today on the future? And how is that going to make tomorrow better or easier? And so it's not so much a focus on balance. It's a focus of, it's of identifying the right investments of time. Again, beautifully said. Next concept. At any given moment, we are either choosing to focus on what we're grateful for or worrying about the things we've not been given. Whenever I find anxiety, unsettledness, or conflict in my life, I can usually root it back to two things. I've not set clear expectations with someone else or mm. I am not living in a space of gratitude for all the blessings and opportunity that I have earned or been afforded or been given and didn't earn in, in many cases. Talk and regird us, Rory, in the power of gratitude. So this is to me very simple. You're either consciously grateful for the things you have or you're subconsciously focused on all the things you don't have. And um, someone recently shared this with me where they said, think of it this way. What if tomorrow the only things you had in your life are the things that you said thank you for today? That is a different way of thinking about it versus going, what am I grateful for today? Versus saying, the only things that are going to show up in my life tomorrow are the things I'm grateful for today. And if they weren't there, boy, I would, I would desperately miss them. Having my microphone, my laptop, you know, a light, having a, a friend, a relationship with Scott, like going, 
I, the, the food that I eat, I'd be, I'd be grateful for everything because I would want everything that I have in my life, I'd want it back tomorrow. And yet most of our time is not spent appreciating the things that we have. It's stressing, worrying, and having anxiety over the things that we don't yet have. And so if you look at it on a biological level, right, when I am grateful, there's a different set of chemicals that are released from my brain, like out into my body, my bloodstream or whatever, right? Oxytocin, I feel good. Um, that that lowers my stress level, that lowers my heart rate, that that does a whole number of things on my body versus the stress that comes from going, I don't, I don't yet have or I'm worried about, right? Anytime I'm worried about something, that's cortisol that's released. It's a whole different biological experience. It has a whole different set of negative impacts uh, on not always negative, but hard hard on the body. Some some stress is very good and necessary. But we have the ability to shape our own attitude by choosing what we focus on. Um, I remember one time I was in Jamaica and we were on vacation and it was raining and I was really being negative. I was really annoyed that it was raining on my vacation. And we were with this cab driver and this, you know, this big, tall, dark Jamaican man. And I was kind of being flippant and I was just like, Geez, cabbie, what is the deal with all this rain, brother? Like, this is Jamaica. This is the land of sunshine. It's our vacation. Is it going to rain all week? And this guy looks at me and he goes, in Jamaica, man, we don't have rain. We only have liquid sunshine, man. <laughs> and I, 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 it hit me where you go, oh, I can choose to see it as rain or I can choose to see it as liquid sunshine. What I do not get a choice over, however, is whether or not those drops fall from the sky. But that is now how we define attitude. Attitude is simply the way you choose to see it. And that's a choice that we make. And the more we make the gratitude choice, the more we see things in a positive way, the, the more we don't, the more stress we have. And it's a, it's a negative spiral the opposite direction. To our listeners and viewers around the world, you see now exactly why I chose to organize this interview this way because of the principles of effectiveness Rory is probably reminding you of, right? Rory's not speaking any major epiphanies, no offense, Rory. What he's doing, however, is reminding all of us of stuff we always knew. It was Voltaire that said common knowledge isn't common practice. It was Stephen Covey that said to know but not to do is not to know. So Rory, I'm eating this up. Next thought, it's a shame that we spend years of our life doing activities we think we're supposed to do, and we spend only minutes figuring out what we really want. Reminds me of a quote, I think it was from Morgan Housel, wrote a very popular book this year around personal finance and money. This quote haunts me. He says, so many of us spend our time buying things to impress people we don't like. <laughs> I love that phrase. We spend so much of our time and money buying things to impress people that we don't even like. You can unpack that in many ways. I think a lot of us, who can't relate to the idea that we're living a life that has an identity that somebody else chose for us. It was the famous entrepreneur, philanthropist Stedman Graham, life partner to Oprah Winfrey, that taught me the value of choosing your own identity. So many of us are living our lives in our 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and beyond still fulfilling the identity that our parents or our rabbis or our priests or imams chose for us as opposed to really deliberately choosing our own identities and focused on the activities that bring us joy and meaning and fulfillment riff on that. 
Yeah, we, we definitely are. Again, if you're not consciously choosing a certain life, you kind of unconsciously default. You know, it's the stairs and the escalator mentality. Again, metaphor, right? It's, it's, it's a very take the stairs kind of decision to choose a life and a purpose to pursue versus the escalator mentality of doing whatever is easy, doing whatever is in front of you, doing whatever your parents want you to do or, you know. Uh, those your friend your friend offers you a job and all of a sudden it's a 20 year career so i do think people do that just because in general we lack intention to you know, we lack the discipline to create an intention for our life and take the time to sit down and really clarify what it is that we want and then sort of the discipline often to follow through which is what the take the stairs book is really all about it's just these seven key distinctions that the most disciplined people in the world have trained themselves to do to sort of rewire their biology so that they make take the stairs choices versus escalator choices. Um, but, you know, I think when, when we talk about purpose, for me, I, I think like Maslow's hierarchy needs, I think Maslow had it wrong. You know, at the top, he has self-actualization, which is like becoming all you can become. Um, I think that the highest purpose in our life is not self-actualization. I think it's others' actualization. I think... People spend too much ch time chasing happiness and joy and thinking that if they achieve something or they have something, or even if they become someone, that that's going to give them fulfillment. In reality, what I have found is the most deeply fulfilling thing for almost everyone who has that deep sense of fulfillment is through service. It's not self-actualization. It's others' actualization. There's nothing like the feeling I get when I help someone succeed, right? It was one thing when I became a New York Times bestselling author. That was amazing. But last week, we just helped our, the, the seventh time in the last 12 months that we've helped an author become a New York Times bestseller. I get so much fulfillment and joy from watching that happen, right? When you teach your kids something, when you, when you volunteer and you make an impact and going, yet we're, we're in this culture, this sort of escalator mentality, this current that takes us towards possessions and achievements and follower counts to, to, and, and, and titles and designations while, meanwhile, the thing, what we really want is peace. Um, you know, I've been talking a lot recently that peace is the new profit. What we all really want is peace and peace and passion and purpose. Those things are available to all of us basically instantaneously through the mechanism of serving another person. And we just don't celebrate that enough. We just don't hear it. And at Brand Builders Group, we happen to have made a business model out of teaching people how to make a business model out of serving people. And I think, you know, that to me is when you talk about purpose, that's, that's where, where my mind goes. Rory, I mentioned earlier, I'm often asked what's the commonality red thread amongst all the guests on this podcast. I mentioned to you first, I said work ethic. And I, I will often say, you know, all the books behind me, for those who watch this podcast on video, we have, I don't know, several thousand books that are on this wall. People that we've interviewed, are going to interview, want to interview, books that I have read, some of the books that I've written or published or promoted myself. And the other thing these people have in common is that they weren't any smarter than most mm -hmm. of the people that I have in my life or even myself. Now, perhaps they have, you know, a P, like B.J. Fogg, right, and Ph.D. and teaches at Stanford, and you know some of them are you know board-certified psychiatrists. There are some outliers in terms of academic credentials or intellectual wherewithal. But the vast majority of the people that we've interviewed on this podcast that are household names, they just persevered. They had grit. 
They just stuck with it. They just outlasted everybody else. You quoted this earlier. I don't know where this came from, but you know, really what differentiates successful people from unsuccessful people is successful people are just willing to do what unsuccessful people aren't willing to do. Now, that's maybe trite, but there's so much value in that. The quote in your book has to do with this concept. The problem for most of us is not a much a matter of skill as it is a matter of will. Re-inject in everyone listening today how important will and perseverance and stamina is. This podcast didn't become the world's largest weekly leadership podcast because of my interviewing skills, for sure. I just stuck with it for 305 weeks, year in, year out, pandemic, face masks, quarantine, vaccines, vitriol, YouTube hate, <laughs> Twitter you know, hate. We just stuck with it and built an audience of people that you know, are interested in what our guests have to speak. I'm not a great interviewer. I just stuck around. Well, you are a great, you are a magnificent interviewer and you're one of the most quick-witted people that I've ever come across. Um, and you also consume a vast amount of information. That uh, quote, by the way, is from Albert Gray, the common denominator mm. of success, a little mm. pamphlet that he wrote that says, successful people do the things that other people aren't willing to do. And take the stairs is a slight adaptation to it to go, it's not so much about what other people won't do, it's about doing the things you know you should be doing, separate and independent of what's happening in the world around you. But yes, perseverance, yes, grit, um, you know, the way we, we, the word we use, right? Angela Duckworth uses the word grit. The word that we used back in 2012 would take the stairs is self-discipline. What, here's the thing. I wouldn't call it willpower though, necessarily, because here's what people don't understand about self-discipline. The reason why the Take the Stairs book, I think, took off is because people started to realize that self-discipline is not as hard as we all think once we know how to think about it the right way. For example, the amount of our self-discipline, the amount of our endurance, the amount of our perseverance, the amount of our grit, the amount of our resilience, whatever term you want to use there, the amount of our self-discipline is directly proportionate to the clarity of our vision. When we have a crystal clear picture of something that we want, right? If, if I can, if, if I can visualize, if I can visualize something that I really want in my life and I can see it, then there's this naturally strong connection to how the sacrifices I'm asking myself to make today forward towards that future. That creates a context for action to take place. And so our discipline engages automatically as a function of our biology. There's a reason for us to make that sacrifice. There's a payoff that we're pursuing. There's something that we see. However, if I don't have a clear vision of what I want, or I don't spend much time thinking about it, then there is at best a convoluted connection to how the sacrifices I'm asking myself to make today forward us towards that future. There is no context for action to take place. There's no reason to make that sacrifice. There's no long-term payoff. And so my perspective be contracts all the way to only what matters here and now. What matters here and now is safety, convenience, and comfort. That's how the human brain is designed. The human brain is not designed for success. The human brain is designed for survival, which is doing things that are safe, predictable, comfortable, and convenient. Success is the opposite. It's about doing things that are uncomfortable. It's about taking risks. It's about doing things that are new. So it's not so much when people struggle from a lack of discipline, 
it's not really that they struggle from a lack of discipline as much as it is that they struggle from a lack of vision. They don't have a clear enough picture of what they want. Mm -hmm. And so there's no reason to make the sacrifice. Or as we say in the Take the Stairs book, discipline becomes dormant in the absence of a dream. Rory, our time is ending. So I want you to revisit a concept that I think you perhaps contextualized better than anybody I've heard in the thought leadership industry, which is many people that are also listening to this podcast. You talked about how at Brand Builders, your expertise is really helping people, I'm gonna colloquially repeat this, help them, you know, help people that are in a position that they were previously in. You said it differently. Would you repeat that phrase fairly carefully? Because I think this is a great mantra for anybody who's looking at hosting a podcast or a radio program or webinar, you're building an online business, you're building your own brand, I strongly encourage you to search out Rory and his partners at Brand Builders. Repeat that phrase slowly so everybody can write that down and think about whatever whatever service they're in, they can kind of almost have that as a, a visioning lens to look through. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, Simon Sinek so brilliantly said, start with why, which I love Simon Sinek and I love that book. When we work with somebody to help build a personal brand, like to formally monetize their personal brand, whether it's an executive at a company trying to draw more awareness for their, you know, Fortune 500 company or an individual who's trying to become a podcast host, it's really start with who. The sooner we get clear on who that person is trying to serve, the more clear everything else becomes. And when we didn't know this when we started the company, but now that we have taken you know over 1,500 people through this, this process that we have called Finding Your Brand DNA, we started to re- realize this recurring theme. And that is that you always are most powerfully positioned to serve the person you once were. You're most powerfully positioned to serve the person you once were. In the context of personal branding, it's a great monetization strategy to go, man, if someone's an aspiring author or an aspiring speaker, right, I'm pretty well qualified to help them. That's a big part of the journey that I have been on and that our team has been on. But so as a monetization strategy, it's a good one. As a content strategy, it's a good one. But we actually believe, Scott, that it's it's more than that. It supersedes that. We believe that this is the divine intersection in your life that every challenge that you have gone through is a part of creating you and crafting you into the person that God uniquely designed you to be, that every heartbreak, every pain is preparing you for the person you needed to become one day for someone else. And so in addition to a clear vision for our future, it also gives us an answer to the past and the pain that we have dealt with, which is why did this happen? Perhaps the reason I went through pain was because it didn't have anything to do with me. It was because whether you believe in the divine or the spiritual or not, or just the practical, you go, I was being shaped. I was being prepared. I was being molded into the person that I needed to one day become so that I could reach back and help someone else. That's not just a profit strategy. That's a purpose strategy. That's why we say we serve mission-driven messengers. Uh, We like money. We're good at making money. We want to make money. But money is subservient to the mission, the idea that your life matters. And even if you don't think it does, even if you think someone already wrote the book, you have to say, even if you think that someone else is more qualified, 
It doesn't matter. There is someone out there who needs you. They're desperately searching for answers to questions that you already know. They're struggling. They're, they're trying to find a path that you've already walked down. You are uniquely equipped to help that person. You're most powerfully positioned to serve the person you once were. Rory, I have personally taken enormous value out of your book, Take the Stairs, as well as today's conversation. As we end this podcast, how does somebody find brand builders? Uh, I would just go to RoryVadenBlog.com. I actually do a, like a little free weekly video lesson there on one of the four levels of influence. And you can, you can connect up and learn. We, you can download the Trends in Personal Branding National Research Study there. We've got lots of free, free trainings, uh, whether it's on uh, you know, how to multiply time or more on the leadership side or more on the sales stuff. So anyways, I just head to RoryVadenBlog.com. For those that have found this last 40 plus minutes valuable, what's next for you? As people are looking to engage with you, what should they expect is gonna come out of the creative genius that is Rory Vaden in the coming months and years? Well, thank you, Scott. I, um, for my wife and I, Brand Builders Group is not something that we had to do. You know, it's, it's something we, we feel, and, and, and uh, you know, I hope you don't mind me saying, just like uh, we're hardcore Bible thumping Jesus freaks. And for us, this is a calling on our life. And we feel like a lot of the first chapter was sort of like sharing some of you know my insights as an author and a speaker and, and her as my business partner and that the companies we built. And now we really feel like God is telling us to go. It's not so much about our voice. It's about helping identify the other voices in the world. And we simply want to curate the most influential voices in the world and be a part of their journey of helping them reach more people. Uh, we just want to try to make a dent in the world that makes a difference. And, and right now we feel like that is multiplying the messengers and, and trying to work through them um, in, in addition to doing our own stuff. So we'll, we'll have some more books and things coming out soon. And we're kind of resurfacing more publicly in that way. That was, um, all, that was all suspiciously vague, but I understand as you build and codify, <laughs> what is your next strategy? It almost sounded like a Senate run, but I don't guess that's the direction you're <laughs> no, taking. No, it's not that, it's not that. <laughs> no one wants to run for the House anymore. The Senate is the only civilized place left in US politics. Roy Vaden, a multi-talented, faceted entrepreneur, coach and mission-driven friend. Take the stairs, seven steps to achieving true success. Thanks for your time today. My pleasure, buddy. Thank you so much for having me. And we'll see you back here next week for a new conversation on leadership. Mm -hmm.